0: Hey, everybody, welcome back and happy Thursday. We're going to do a little bit of news, a little bit of lawn. We have a great show coming up. First off, we cover the announcement that Jason was right. I know. Once again, Bing Search is going to integrate chat GPT, one assumes, although one does not know for sure that Google is likely freaking out. We will also talk about the unionization effort at a gaming studio owned by Microsoft and the ongoing labor issues that are going to define 2023 and beyond. Then Lon Harris joins us to review another movie from AO Scott's top movies of 2022 list. Flux Gourmet. Jason, though, went rogue and watched his own movie. We'll talk about that too. Plus the economics of streaming and why some services are canceling titles. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us.
1: This Week in Startups is brought to you by Crowdbotics. Great ideas can change the world, and Crowdbotics is the fastest way to turn those ideas into code.
2: Get a free scoping session for your next big app idea at crowdbotics.com twist.
1: And Squarespace, turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. All right, Molly, it is Thursday. We got Lon coming on for streaming. But
0: let's start with the big news. Yeah, the big big news. (sighs) I can't believe how often I have to say this on the show. One more time. We're only five days into the new year. One more time. You were right. You were so Right on this one. Say more. There had not been a whisper of whether Microsoft was specifically going to integrate Mm -hmm. OpenAI and its technology Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. Bing, its search engine, until Jason on the show said, I mean, to be fair, like, it had been thought, I'm sure. But Jason was like, listen up, Microsoft, get this done by Q1 2023. It's going to be part of Bing. It's going to be incredible. You were like, Google, get it done. Because Microsoft is coming for you. And they're going to put integrate chat GPT like features and open AI technology into Bing. And we were like, OK, we'll see. And then not 19 days later, the information publishes a big scoop saying, hey, turns out uh, Microsoft is going to challenge Google by integrating chat GPT with Bing search. And the bells are tolling for Google Mm. right now. Potentially.
1: So, I mean, the question you have to ask is, did I have inside information or did I follow breadcrumbs? Did I have inside information? I, I mean, did, did I you follow the breadcrumbs? The bread it feels crumbs, like a breadcrumb thing. Okay, sure. Uh, that's one interpretation. You could either say J. Cal has inside information
0: or yeah, or
1: boop, boop, didn't make a trade, or I could have followed breadcrumbs, could be either of those, but the breadcrumbs were there. Open AI. Oh, so let's play the clip. So let's play the clip. We like a victory lap on this show. Yeah, we like a victory lap for Jacob. I want to know the relationship between Microsoft Search and OpenAI. I know this investments, I know all this other stuff. They're using Azure, I understand, as their cloud, but I want to know if they have the exclusive right to search. I'm going to make a J trade right now. I'm going to get out of my Google shares and if Google doesn't release a competitor in a hundred days. I think Microsoft Bing has the exclusive on this for search. If that is the case. And if Google and Sundar do not release something competitive in 100 days, I'm selling my shares in Google, and I'm moving them to Microsoft. This could be the Google search killer. This is red alert for Google. Mm -hmm. This should be an existential moment for Google, and I don't perceive them taking it serious enough. (laughs) (laughs) Look
0: at this. (laughs) <laughs> okay stop
1: it that's hilarious thank you to my producers for giving me a little uh, bravo
0: G-Z. bravo anyway
1: listen oh that's amazing it's so obvious you know yeah. it, and the, the branding writes itself why search when you can get an answer mm-hmm. being powered by chat oh, why search when you can get an answer. This is going to F with Google for the next 24 months. Why search when you can get an answer? answer?
0: I mean, please tell me they're gonna use that. That's incredible. Why search and
1: get an answer? I've trademarked that phrase. Uh, It's a service mark in use. So if anybody wants it, it's available for uh, $1 million. Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: Bing is now
0: all of a sudden living rent-free in Google's head in a way that has never happened before. Let's just like set the context here too. So, sure. Google search. Uh, I think we have the the we have the market share of each. I believe that Bing is, is basically second eighty 90 percent around yeah. the world, and Bing is second country. at nine percent. market okay, share. that's probably I remember that states, but I think globally that follows. By the and way, and that's their largest competitor. Yes. So, like, here comes Bing. Um, so then the question becomes: mm-hmm. Is this going to work? Right. So chat GPT, we know, has. So this is a way to get inside Google's head without question. Yes, It would potentially, especially if they uh, integrated it and marketed it in the way that you just said for one million dollars to yes. payable to JCal. Um, be an absolute murder bot, if you yeah. will. If it works like we know that chat GPT has confidently given some extremely wrong information. Mm-hmm. We know that the cost per search is really high. It sounds like you mm-hmm. and Keith Raboy had the same conversation recently about the cost per search. Yes. Uh,
1: if the cost per search, you know, is a fraction of a penny for Google. So as Google, uh, fixed cost of their network of computers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stays about the same, right? You know, they may have to spend a little bit extra every year. You know, the if as a number of searches increases, the cost per search goes down. But people are saying this might be like a nickel or 10 cents every time you have chat GPT do something. But of course, they're on Azure, and Azure is a fixed-cost business as well. So Azure's like, well, we got all these computers set up. But the point is, it it you have to be able to make more per 100 searches than it costs you per 100 searches. If, let's say, it's a nickel, Molly, yeah. 10 searches, 50 cents, 100 searches, $5. 100 searches, $5, if you get one click per 100 searches, that means that one click has to be more than $5 for you to break even. So you can just kind of do the math here, but exponential technology, it'll keep going down. I agree. Uh, obviously. I also think that there's magnitude or two, like it's got to go down 10, 10 times and then 10 times probably you got to go a hundred X down.
0: Well, and I think we talked about this when you made your prediction too, which is that Google, Google, Microsoft, it's impossible to even talk about search without saying the G word. Like that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> so. it is so it's crazy right. to even contemplate this future, but it's, it seems to me that it's worth it for Microsoft to integrate this as a loss leader. Mm-hmm. Because they can also license this technology on the back end. Like this is an interesting case where most likely do we think that Bing is going to make money? Like Google makes money when you click on stuff and they make money with ads. Bing may move to a completely different business model, like a subsidized search business model where you get an answer. And then they just there to and then this every time you and I use it, it trains the machine. So that as they license it for Azure Mm -hmm. and for enterprise clients and for, you know, the defense department, like it just gets more and more and more valuable. And we actually become like mechanical Turks.
1: I I got a really easy idea for you, Molly. You get 10 chat GPTs a month for free. And then if not, it's six bucks a month or $9 a year. And then people pay for it. And when you pay for it, you have no privacy track. You have 100% privacy, nothing's tracked. And for 50 bucks a year, you get an answer as opposed to a bunch of blue links. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get 10 free a month. So if you want to hack it and create a new browser window and do incognito, change your IP and play games, you can, uh, or maybe in other countries, you know, you're coming from another country, you get it for free, but in the, you know, developed world where people can afford it, you know, the highest cost per, uh, you know, person in America and Europe, you, you charge and then everywhere else in the world gets it for free for now. And then you just, you know, slowly boil the frog and you know, raise the prices, or whatever. But there yeah. is an ad model here. Uh, so I said before, hey, listen, it's it's this is existential for Google because they have the cost per click model. Mm-hmm. Here's a great model. If you have the free version, every three um, answers, it plays a video first, a 15 second video with the five second skip ahead, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So between, let's say, every second or third query, while it's writing the query, which takes a little bit of time, it plays you a 15 second ad. So imagine an app on your phone, full screen. You say, hey, what are the best ways to do uh, a holiday party um, like we did? Like, what's the best way to do a Christmas party that also yeah. includes Hanukkah and uh, Festivus, right? I want to do something with all three. Boom, it starts giving you the answer. But before it gives you the answer, it plays your target commercial because it knows right. based on not what your query was, but the answer it's building. So if the answer it's building, Molly, so just
0: it think could about even how do that within the answer. I remember, like that was my feedback for ChatGPT. I was yeah. like, "This would be perfect if I had links to buy all the things you recommended." Sure, boom. It could be outbound links. It could be affiliate. There's an affiliate. Yeah. There's something about if you the the instead of
1: the okay, let me let me uh, rephrase this. Imagine if the AI did two results. One was the answer to your question, and the second was the best custom built ad for you having read that answer. So the AI builds the series of links. I mean,
0: and then you train an AI serving uh, like an ad serving AI. Like the, I mean, the thing we're not thinking about, or the thing that I feel like people don't think about very much when they consider the economics of this is that every interaction is also a training exercise. And so every time you roll this out, you make it better. Like you're outsourcing your marginal cost of improvement of the AI itself. Like shut up. Crazy.
1: <laughs> and this is where Google has to uh take the hit, cut ten percent of their team, get some 10% in a room and say you have to get this out by this date. They gotta be more hardcore. He already said uh yeah. Sundar over and over again, we're not performing, people are not people are phoning it in. You know, the whole Huli concept from Silicon Valley, the HBO right. show was people F off at Google and they hang out on the roof. We all know that's true. It's Rest, invest. Uh, anybody who sells their company to Google is like, yeah, I'm going to take four year sabbatical at yeah. Google. Yeah, I'm going to do my laundry. So, which uh, sounds Google's awesome, but those days out. are over.
0: They really do. I also understand some of the fears about doing this, which are okay. that, like, you know, there was in that Reddit thread actually a, the reasonable argument that Microsoft did try already rolling mm-hmm. out like an AI based chatbot, and it immediately went full racist, sexist. Like, oh,
2: there are.
0: There are going to be real concerns about algorithmic bias when you roll out something like this at a massive level to everybody. Because it is going to start feeding answers that are socially unacceptable based on 100 years of training training data in which people have acted in unacceptable ways. Like that's the Apple card. The Apple credit card is the perfect example. If you look at 100 years of data in your computer, you're going to be like, wow, ladies are crappy credit risk because women weren't allowed to have their own credit until like the 80s. So there's all no record, of, right? So there's all that stuff is going to be hard to correct for in a yes. mass consumer product. Uncomfortable truths and uncomfortable bias
1: in the existing data set. Both of these things are going to happen. We might find out, you know, fat Greeks uh who are half Irish, their DNA results he in them, you know, having lower IQ points and being worse at chess because you're gonna have my chess app and you have my Greek heritage and my DNA. It's like people who are from Greece right. score 15 points less than people who are from you know, England, or from Egypt, or from China on, you know, chess, you, like these are the things that will come out eventually, right? We, like, they're the flawed conclusions. conclusions. Yeah, based and on some will be wrong conclusions. And some might actually be uncomfortable truths, right? Mm. And this is just going to make the world lose their minds. I know. I mean, when it's AI a real, but it's a, re- stuff, that's what I mean.
0: It is a real brand risk. And I would yeah. argue that that is one of the reasons that Google may have slow walk to this and that Microsoft mm. has already been burned once by this, and they're going to have to be real careful.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then Coming there's all it. the IP issues and the lawsuits that are going to come out of this because if you're giving an answer, yeah. and you know the party planning came from Bon Appetit uh, and 17 other magazines and websites that spent thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars collectively to do party planning stories, and those writers' content is now been ingested, and then you came up with that answer. Somebody's going to say, "How did you come up with that answer? Show me," and yep. that's going to be the uncomfortable lawsuit. You have a great idea, but you don't have a technical co-founder. Well, boom! Crowdbotics is your CTO as a service. You know how it is. A lot of times, these amazing ideas you have, well, they fail in the planning phase. Crowdbotics will make sure that doesn't happen to you. They offer pre-built app templates to help you build your MVP, your first version of your product, faster than anybody else can. This means you can stop building from scratch and start using the same architecture that all the industry leaders do. There's no reason to reinvent the wheels, not when you have a great partner like Crowdbotics. You can go from idea to spec and spec to code super easily because they do this for a living. And if you're not sure where to start, well, Crowdbotics offers professional scoping. This helps you flesh out your project at the MVP stage and beyond. And here's why Crowdbotics really gets this done in an awesome fashion. They have automated DevOps, maintenance, security updates, and App Store publishing. You don't have to worry about all that blocking and tackling. They do it right, right from the start. And the best part is you own the source code. You own the IP. So let the folks at CrowdBotics show you how all this works. You can schedule a free scoping session and get your detailed build plan done by CrowdBotics at CrowdBotics.com twist. That's CrowdBotics.com slash twist again it's free you got nothing to lose and you got everything to gain crowdbotics.com slash twist
0: all right let's do four five four minutes on microsoft's first official union which is kind of interesting because what we're seeing is the gaming industry uh, starts to fight back yeah Uh, historically
1: Um, there's been uh, a lot of reports right of people not getting paid overtime who are hourly people or just mishuggana and craziness oh yeah the sprint uh, stuff
0: that they do. I mean, the gaming industry is sort of like notoriously abusive to its its developers, its engineers. Unlike people
1: want the job, right? Like, it's people mm-hmm. are have an affinity
0: to working video games. They're like, oh, it's so fun. I, mean, I totally want yes. this job. And then it's like, cool. Whenever a game is coming out, you'll work. I mean, EA is notorious for this. Activision has had a lot of like social issues day and complaints. Day shit when they're on under 100%, the gun. 100%. 100%. Like working
1: on a movie, I guess. Like, if you're working on Top Gun and the movie's got to come out at a certain date you know, like it's going to become everybody's got to work a hundred hour week to get this out, to make it perfect.
0: Right. So I think so Zeni is what Mm -hmm. is unionizing. It's not, you know, it's not specifically Microsoft. It is a holding company of game studios that Microsoft bought in 2020 for seven and a half billion dollars. It owns fallout elder scrolls. Doom um, has about 2,300 employees and 300 of the employees who work as quality assurance testers have voted Mm -hmm. to unionize in Maryland and Texas, which includes, um, Doom makers in software, Arcane and Bethesda, the teams that are behind Redfall and Starfield, which are the big yep. 2023 um Xbox exclusives. This isn't a huge surprise because evidently it was part of Microsoft's deal mm. when the FTC opposed sued to block the Activision yeah. acquisition. Microsoft said, well, okay, one of the concessions we'll make in advance is that we promise not to oppose any unionization efforts at Activision. Mm-hmm. So presumably these employees saw this opening and went for it
1: okay why do people join a union they feel like they're being mistreated Mm -hmm. when do people not join a a union they feel like there's a hot market for their talent and they're better off being a free agent this is the dynamic molly when i'm talking about on an individual basis Mm -hmm. if you are uh at uh, you remember gimlet had like a whole union thing and the reply all people were like we're all stars We make the best, the number one show here. We do not want to be part of the union. We want to Mm -hmm. negotiate for ourselves. And they got semi-canceled inside the organization or high pressure. Like, oh, you guys think you're better than everybody. Like, well, we are. We are better. Like, Here's our book of awards and here's our ranking. We don't want to be part of a union. We do not want our salaries to exist on a table and a chart somewhere because we're already off the charts. We don't, you know, and so like, and you know, Kara Swisher at the New York, she was never a New York Times employee. She don't want to be part of the New York Times union. She wants to, you know, uh, negotiate directly, right? I suppose. Or anybody who is a high-end individual, you want to have control. But if you have no power and you're abused, that's when people go towards this. Putting all that aside, that's the dynamic. So if you are making this decision for yourself, (laughs) that's how you should make the decision. Am I in the top 25%? You don't want to be in the union because you're going to be dragged down to the salary and means of the other 75%. Yeah. If you're on the bottom
0: 25%, F yes, you want to be in the union because you'll get pulled up. And a lot of times, I mean, listen, I can tell you, and I'm not going to name mm-hmm. names here, but everybody mm-hmm. knows where I worked or before. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that sometimes managers, although it is a huge headache when a union is formed and unitization mm-hmm. happens because it can lead to lawsuits and it's a whole long contract thing and it costs you a lot of money and lawyers, it also makes your decision, your jobs, in some ways, a lot easier Yes, as a manager because if somebody comes and is like, I'm a... I'm a power law performer and I want a 20% raise. Yeah. They could be like, I'm so sorry because we have this table. So unionization can be a fail for both the employees and the, and the managers. And I sort of feel like it, I feel like for companies, it's so easy to head this off. Like it really is because there is a fine line between asking people to come all in and work together on a project and then yep. rewarding them and motivating sure. them for I'm doing sure. that. Because there are plenty of people who really like to work really hard on something they care about. Yeah. So then give them a freaking bonus or some equity, right? Yeah, but like, you. Hey,
1: if we hit a billion sales units, everybody gets a week off, everybody gets an extra grand, whatever it is, come up yes. with some incentive and make people feel like hard work is rewarded. Exactly. People do this when they feel like you, they're, you know, under the thumb and they don't have self you know any kind of like self determination autonomy right all right. of these things start to come into play there's also another way as a manager to avoid all this just fire the low performers and then reward the high performers and explain what you're doing to the team yeah. these are our highest performers that's why they have these titles uh and they have this consideration these things they can do these parking spaces whatever the perks are totally and then this is the rest of the company and then here's the people we fired and we don't need to like dunk on those people but they're not here for a reason, and right. no dig to them. They can work at the post office or some other place, Target. I don't know some other place where I I don't know who has a lower standard than us. Or they might be
0: fine at another company. Like let's not, us. you know, like come on, they're not like they have value, but the be- they may, yeah, use, just but yes, us. bad managers refuse to acknowledge that some yeah. employees are better than others and manage accordingly. Good managers it. reward the people yes. who work harder and then it sets an example. But you still got to cut the bottom 10 20%. That's what I think is
1: missing in some of these cases. Yeah. So that you have this dyna- this dynamism. But anyway, mm-hmm. you're correct Molly. The ultimate hot take here is uh yours, which I will uh build on. Managers love this. Managers yeah. love this because it basically uh the all of the uh employees who join these unions they basically are going to a dormitory, putting themselves in a room and locking themselves in. You have now locked yourself in to the asylum.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: are now on rails. You have a limited uh, career path. You have to play by the rules. You got to wait in line. You have to become level one, two, three, three, four, five, et cetera, et cetera. And you got to climb the ladder. Managers love this. And this is what I heard from all the journalism CEOs because I'm friends with them. They all tell me, Jake, Cal, this is the greatest. Starting salary at this company is now 48k. Yeah. When somebody comes and they want 62k, we just point them to 48k and then all of them are like, "Well, I guess that's what I have to do. The union says, the bu- the book says that's the starting salary and in order for me to get to 62, I got to put in 5 years and okay, right. and now They're it's like, easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's another rub, Molly. What they also love about this and this is to the uh movement against stock comp that mm-hmm. uh Brad Gerstner and people have been talking about and remote work systems are dynamic there are multiple systems converging at once here like a superstorm right one of them is remote work one of them is stock compensation right i joined up stock <laughs> compensation and what is this unionization what these unions are going to do is management's going to look you are say okay unions great okay these are the new structures great we have an office in india got an offer you know, we got some uh, group in you know these eastern bloc countries that are doing great uh, we got people down in uh, Brazil now. Uh, we got the Mexico office. Uh, we got this office in this other, you know, Manila, uh, Singapore. What are their salaries? Uh, oh, and do they get stock? They don't get stock comp. Their salaries are half. Can I see the work output? Okay, it's 67%, but they cost one third. Great. Let's move this entire unit there. And that's where these unions uh, in the media space, they were squeezing trying to squeeze the last bit of blood out of that rock of like failing media companies like BuzzFeed or Vice. And when the unions tried to squeeze BuzzFeed and Vice, there's nothing left to give. Those, yeah. those are broken businesses. Yeah. So then the unions were like, yeah, we'll just lay off those positions or we'll move those to freelance positions. or." It's really
0: you know. fascinating. We're at yeah. such a really fascinating because it's sort of like the, the conversation about raising the minimum wage. And it's like, well, all these companies will go out of business. All these restaurants will go out of business if you raise the minimum wage. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe they... Should. <laughs> not to be awful, but they probably shouldn't exist if they can't afford yes. to pay people, right? Like restaurants should probably yep. cost more. And if they, don't, if they don't, they will go out of business, right? Yes. Or they'll find really, really low priced people to abuse. Will say,
1: oh, the right amount for me to pay to go out to eat is that that person needs to get paid 15 or 20 bucks an hour to be my server. Right. And if I'm not willing to pay, you know, if that person serves three people an hour and I'm not willing to pay seven bucks additional for my food. For that person, my pro rata share of their salary, then maybe I should eat at home. Yeah. And we're
0: going to be having that conversation about productivity right now too. It's really, it's a weird, it's a, it's a, such a weird time. We're going to be talking about labor, like 2023 trend. I think we even said this in the prediction show. We are going to be talking about labor constantly. It is like versus the story.
1: It's going to be a big story. And if you have any ideas around it, uh, or you're having experiences inside your startup, email producers at thisweekinstartups.com. We'd love to hear about it. Hey, next up, it's Thursday. Let's talk to Lon Harris. Let's We're go the to the monster. Yeah, yeah. Just
0: I a movie it. I'm going
1: to talk about. I didn't say it during my review here, uh, but uh, I might have gotten a little emotional.
0: Oh, I well, uh, spoiler I alert! A when it. he talked about it, I was like, "Keep it together, keep it together, keep it together." I, I'm scared to watch I, it because it's going to be an ugly about. cry. The, the
1: <laughs> movie I talk about, just to keep you from you know changing the channel, uh, I did cry uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, because mm-hmm. I just thought about my daughters and my relationship with them, and yeah, they're trying to be a great dad. And it was just like, Bink, and I was like, Oh no, I'm crying, I'm not supposed to cry. And I was like, Oh no, it's okay for me to cry, I'm not it's a okay. toxic male. And then I had this whole <laughs> thing in my head, but I'm not supposed to cry, I'm supposed to be Samurai J-Cal, but it's okay for me to cry about something that matters to me, like my relationship with my daughter. So I was like, Okay, it's okay to cry,
0: but this like is like you're manipulating me right head. now. It is, God, it is really hard to be you guys, it's hard to be a guy, you know, yeah. Molly. Who's looking out for j Cal? He can't even cry thinking about it. And we're done here. Yeah, yeah, so uh, next up, Lon. So, I mean, really, like you were so close. You were so close. Hey, you know, who's looking out for Lon Harris? So close. Lon is coming up next.
1: Listen, if you want to be an entrepreneur or you want to do a side project, Squarespace is an amazing place for you to start. Why? Well, it's the platform where you can build or sell anything. I've been talking about Squarespace for a decade because it is the absolute best place for you to take that first step in being an entrepreneur or starting a project or even putting up a portfolio of your work. We love it at launch. We use it for all our different projects. When we have to put something up like remotedemoday.com, Man, we can get it up and running in minutes. The feature train from Squarespace just keeps coming. The product velocity at that company is exceptional. And when they ship, they ship it beautiful. Beautiful templates, inventory management APIs, advanced analytics, 24-7, 365-day-a-year, award-winning customer support. And hey, it's going to look great on any device. They also have appointment scheduling. So let's say you're a trainer or something, or you're a coach, and you need to manage appointments great you want to take payments for content or for a product you can do that you don't need to hire an army you just need to go to squarespace.com twist and start a free trial that's all you need to do squarespace.com twist and make sure you use the offer code twist for 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain you can get your domain there at the same time we love you squarespace thank you Uh, On behalf of all the the startups, capital allocators, and tech enthusiasts who listen to this podcast for being our longest running partner, it means the world to us. Squarespace.com slash twist. Use the promo code twist, please.
0: Hey, everybody. It is the first Thursday of the new year. We have some unfinished business from last year. Still, we're working our way through some of the movies. Still, <laughs> we're gonna do two more, two more on the AO Scott title list. title this week. Yeah, I'm excited. And for then, this one. exactly. And then we have some streaming news and not a lot of time with launch. Should we start with Gourmet Flux? Should we just open there? I didn't get to watch it. So I have
1: a
2: confession mm-hmm. that I didn't get to watch it. Mm-hmm. I felt no. it was good. But I will let you two
0: go. It's really and a shame I'm we did you not. i tell about the one I did see. Okay, we should have recorded yes. our pre-show. Well, Gourmet Flex is the first one that I couldn't do. Flex I had to turn Gourmet. it off. I should Flex, Flex Gourmet, Gourmet. I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Flex so this Gourmet. Flex
1: Gourmet. A.O. Scott's list of top ten. Yes, do this we remember where it was? This is number
2: eight on this the eight. Scott list by a British filmmaker named Peter Strickland. Uh, he's mm. previously made films called In Fabric, Barbarian Sound Studio, mm. uh, sort of a sort of an. an uh, Off beat, uh, peculiar horror and genre films are his specialty. Okay. Uh, this one, even mixing it up even more, kind of a dark comedy satire of the art world, but with some horror elements as well, I would
0: say. And it's uh, a really long, it's a meditation on farts. It is it's the a whole movie is about parts. fart humor a lot I mean that's basically ah, the plot it's set it's, basically it's
2: set the plot. At, a, at an art collective they do what's called sonic catering so every month a different group of artists come in and does a residency there and it's always about making interesting soundscapes and music out of food so chopping food cooking food blending food anything having to do with food ASMR Uh, for food? It's
0: totally an ASMR movie.
2: Like, performance art involving food stuffs, basically. But it's all being told from the perspective of the sort of writer who chronicles. He he stays there all the time, and he chronicles what every group comes in and does. Their experiments, their take. He's our narrator, and he is suffering from terrible uh, stomach problems, indigestion, gastric troubles, including... He can't stop farting. And so we're we're following the
0: film and all these adventures from his perspective. But it's largely about his digestive. uh, And then one of the members of the collective becomes kind of fascinated by his issues and they start pushing him to start doing these gastric tests. So he's getting, getting colonoscopies public. as part of the performance oh. art now. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's Ooh.
2: fecal integration into like his stool samples become part of the Molly
0: looks performance mortified. art. <laughs> I don't know if it's I turned it because off. of the like. This is the first one that I Walk actually out. turned off. I was like, you okay. know what? No, I not was like, the, I, the power's going to go out any second now. And I'm not wasting my last few minutes on the rest of this Got movie. It? I know okay. exactly where, as soon as I see her spooning poop into a little jar, and wanting to be more and, and the whole setup is that she's like wanting to push the envelope more and more and more. Now we find out later. It's not exactly what you think. I will. Yeah.
2: Spoiler alert. It's not even in in the context of the movie. It's not real. poop. It's performance art. She's using chocolate to simulate. So we don't know that at first. It's that you Uh get hit by the disgusting, Oh my God, she's smearing poop on herself. And then the next scene we find out it wasn't, Mm. it wasn't.
0: Yeah. It's, Fine. Look, it's fine. I will tell you one thing about this movie and one thing only. Well, okay, two things. Skip it. This is the one that should have been Maverick. Sorry. Like, (laughs) I'm now fully on the J train. Like, Maverick could have gone at number eight because this is not a movie, as Lon and I were discussing before the show. This is not a movie that, like, everybody, like, you could come to Neptune Frost. And be like, this is a hurdle to get into it, but okay, all right. I'm, I'll tell you it. that was interesting. Some payoff, maybe you get that kind of smugness that makes you feel like I went to a museum and I'm proud of myself. I enjoyed some art, right? Like yes, that. frost makes you feel that's good hard to read. Boom. Got this it. no. This
2: is a it's a cult movie for for cult movie fans. As soon exactly. as I saw this, I had seen this movie before A.O. Scott published his list because I'm a Peter Strickland fan. I like Barbarian Sound Studio. I like of Burgundy. Some of his other movies. Mm. Uh, so I I checked out this as soon as it popped up on Shutter, uh, but this is this is a this is for movie people. He this makes weird mm-hmm.
0: experimental, mm-hmm. odd, thoughtful, so artsy kind of movies. The mind, one of thing though, one okay, thing, man. the the actual real one thing, Gwendolyn Christie from okay. Game of Thrones, Brienne of Tarth, Tarth from Game ah. of Thrones, is in this, and she's so amazing and fantastic and mesmerizing and kooky, and I'm just gonna basically go and watch everything that she's in. That's my okay. new list for 2023. Is what is Gwendolyn like Christian? in? In, in, real,
2: in real life, she's like famously, she she's always dressed. She's got like this crazy wardrobe and she's always dressed in like big, showy, exotic. She's a very flamboyant dresser yeah. and always, always in, in these crazy uh, gowns and whatever at events. I feel like they purposefully played mm-hmm. on that in this. Her character always is in really weird, wild, elaborate costumery, like... If, if, if Oscars were really given for the full breadth of all kinds of movies, this yeah. would be one of those things you'd this look for. This would get in like a costume
0: the... or an art direction. Right. Oscar, like 100%. Don't...
2: Those always go to like period films or whatever, but like the costumes in this are wild. Her her outfits in this are absolutely crazy. Amazing. So there's Amazing.
1: no reason on planet Earth for anybody to see this movie
2: except That's if you're That's not stop. true at all. It's funny, it's <laughs> weird, it's interesting. He's making okay. a lot, he's doing a lot of interesting stuff with yeah. sound. I mean, it really is like legit RD movie people. It's a very should RD totally move. see this. And it's about mm-hmm. how like the only way human, I think here's what I think it's about. Might you could to. make up, it, it could be about anything. It's very ambiguous, but I think it's about as humans, we only have sensory, these weird sensory ways of integrating with the world. The only thing we know about the world is what we can see, hear, smell, taste, touch. And it always, <laughs> it's deceptive and it's, 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 it's odd and it's sort of mechanical in this weird way. And I think that's what he's exploring—is like Mm -hmm. how how different our experiences are of the world because we're all accessing it through these senses, sensory experiences that are able to be manipulated
0: and are subjective and are—and if you uh, have to, if you have to fart all the time, you can't pay attention to anything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. What did you watch? Okay, so I watched *After Sun*
1: because Mm. uh, after this Ao Scott uh, horrific list, I thought you know what, Neptune, whatever, kind of felt like, uh, yeah, I kind of felt like, that, that I want those hours of my life back. Oh. Tar, so- I'm just saying, I would I, I would reallocate that to another film. Uh, and that other film is the one I saw, uh, which is uh, a, a very personal film called After Sun. Uh, now, I'm very glad that I got into Tar. Tar is a film I want to see again. So on my spectrum, this is how I think movie review should go. And I would like all movie critics hearing my voice, including AO Scott, to now adopt a new system, which is would you watch it again? Not would you say you watch it again, but would you actually sit through it again? Because like time is precious, right?
2: You gotta but do other I mean, things with your time. I, there are definitely movie experiences that are valuable, but that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily wanna go through it okay. a second time. Like You know, I mean, I think like the classic example would be like Schindler's List. I don't think any of us would deny it's a great movie, but But it's not like, hey, it's Saturday night. I'm going to throw on a film. Let's watch Schindler's
1: List. I'm not saying it's like The Godfather, where if you stumbled upon it, change it, or Gladiator or Blade Runner, and you happen to catch minute 15 or minute 150, you're watching it till the end. I'm not talking about rewatchable. That's the ultimate height of a film in my mind in terms of a great piece of art. But just would you, after you saw it, and your spouse or a friend wanted to see it again. Would you actually go through seeing it again? Neptune Frost, no way. Uh, tar, absolutely. Okay, you're, you're like part of the elite film circles, right? Okay. <laughs> Molly would not see Neptune Frost again. I'm speaking for Molly here, but she might see Tar again or might not. I might, yeah, might. So it's like, but it's more than Neptune Frost. And you would, hundred oh, percent. I would want to see it again to
0: show somebody else and be like, yeah, it's a, Correct. just see, stick this with what it. I'm getting towards, you know, so yeah, yeah, totally. I, with that framing.
1: Uh, I saw this film after son and it is a very personal film. It is a low budget film. It is the story that I think takes place, you know, more like in the nineties and it's a very slow burn. It's an A 24 picture, but it's a dad who is clearly suffering uh, from some mental health issues, maybe depression, anxiety, feelings of self-worth. He's a single parent. He's probably 30 years old or something in that range. They kind of allude to, and he's, on vacation with his 11-year-old daughter, Sophie. And they go to a Turkish resort, and it's a coming-of-age film for Sophie. You, you get some sense of, like, dread or something could go wrong, but that's not really what the film is about, uh, without getting into sort of spoiler territory. It, it's really about, and in, in the film, juxtapositions between Sophie being older uh, and younger, um, but just on this one trip. And it will hit you, if you are a father or a daughter, like a ton of bricks. Because the relationship between a parent and a child, you know, and perhaps a father and a daughter, a, a mother and a son, whatever combination it is, um, you know, if, it, if there is some imperfection there, and if there is some regret, or there is something missing that didn't get completed, our relationships with our parents are very complex. And this film just hits that chord. Hmm. And it hits it so perfectly the empathy that the the daughter actually has for her father. The father struggles. And yet, there's nothing happens in the film other than being at a Turkish resort, which is kind of like a cheap version of Club Med, and the father's broke. And there's poignant moments in it, and I'll just point out one, which for me describing it, you you would not get the poignancy. Um, But they're basically snorkeling. And the dad has bought a pair of goggles for his daughter. And the daughter drops them, like you know, kids do, and it goes sinks down to the bottom of the ocean. The father tries to retrieve it because he's broke, mm. he can't afford it, uh, and, and they're in, he's they're from like London or something, and it's obviously he's, he's estranged from you know his the, the mother of the child as well, and not clear if they ever were married. And the daughter feels so bad, not because of the goggles, but because she knows her dad's broke and he paid for the goggles. And, and by the end of the film, you, you it has this, a final scene. Uh, that is slightly ambiguous. That maybe you look up on the internet, and then you start meditating on it. And like the film Tar, this is where I get the chills with a film. Is if it stays with me, and this is a film that stayed with me. Whereas Neptune Frost, next year I won't remember it. I'm not. I'm not singling out that film. Or maybe this flux film for you, Molly, just yeah, doesn't hit the chord. But this is an independent film that hits a chord. Yeah. And the performances are tremendous. And uh, I highly recommend it to anybody who is. Maybe a daughter or a parent or, you know, if you have a parent or if you're a child, if you're in that category (laughs) and
0: (laughs) kind of get my joke. (laughs) Um, I think I feel like a 24 too is I'm happy that they are that that studio is like carrying the torch for independent movies. And I am, you know, and I and I will before we move on to talking about streaming, like Mm. I am happy about something like an A.O. Scott list insisting. It insists upon itself, insisting, mm-hmm. though, that we not only watch Marvel movies.
2: Right.
0: And that that I not only default to Jack Ryan, but like, it's, it's a good, like, it seems like even oh. for you, Jason, it's opened your aperture, like, maybe you wouldn't have watched After Sun if you weren't sort of in the mood to not. step outside of Star Wars for a minute. So, like, yes. thank you for and the provocation, is- A.O. Scott.
2: And this is a first-time feature, Charlotte Wells. This is her directorial debut. Feature directorial debut. She's made some shorts, so like mm. this is exposing a new voice. You know, I mean, yes. that now this is a filmmaker that the next Charlotte Wells film, you'll be like, oh, she made After Son. I want to see this. Right. Mm.
1: I I will absolutely. Um, I wish there was a website where I could just track like and get a Google alert that would just send me the next time that person does. So you if could if just- somebody. It, you somebody can set a like Google this? alert for the it's name Google Charlotte Wells. It's actually, you know, you're, gonna know you're gonna get all kinds of other stuff is. going on. Here um, here's an idea for uh, IMDB or somebody like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. Like if could you, you could follow any person. In their database, when you hit follow, it sends alerts based on anytime that person's there's mentioned.
2: There's got to be a service already. No.
1: That, that must I exist, right? I oh, you know where? You know where
0: you can do that? Actually, is you Better. can do that? I think in Roku. I think in the if you have like yeah. a Roku TV, I think ah, with the Roku you interface.
1: Eh, interesting. And you I know bet what, Apple I, you TV
0: like their previous film, So if you put on Apple TV, will do it too. I think. Yeah, yeah I want I
1: this
2: now for my Gwendolyn Christie. I bet there's one of these like like real one of these just watch kind of services would probably let you do something like that all
0: right, all right well, now now that, that i work
2: for owns own hold on let's, let's
1: move, on, move on. on one thing to molly was very generous to ao scott i'm not letting <laughs> him off the hook he, he screwed he screwed his own list if he had put oh. maverick on there then the bliss would have been credible and then the but thing we wouldn't, next to Maverick would have looked that much better it's his not
0: have Clark cared. Fox
2: Gourmet more than Maverick and maybe he That's shouldn't his... work
0: New York Times maybe no York here's uh, Times. the thing Somebody if he hadn't no this is where no you have to turn lemons into lemonade here because okay, if he please. had done that list then we would have been like check and moved on and it never would have created you all this content for us and we that. would not so you're saying
1: it's a grand be troll. watching Leo these movies Scott, it's a grand troll okay yeah. I'll take it he defeated us. Uh, Lon's position. Lon Harris's uh, official he position. He exposed
2: you to yeah, art. You never troll. Got, got it. Experience.
0: Okay. Moving it on. Moving on. Moving great on.
2: Great service.
0: Hey everyone, it's Molly Wood, co-host of This Week in Startups and managing director here at Launch, where our mission is to back builders and help build founders. One of the ways we do that is with our two-day intensive. Founder University Workshop. It's free for any founders who have launched their product, but haven't yet raised a Series A. You'll learn from industry experts on sales, hiring, product growth, the true nuts and bolts of starting a company. Previous topics in Founder University include how to run a sales team, negotiating a term sheet, raising your round, how to build features that move your metrics, storytelling for investors. I do that one, that's my course. It's tactical, it's intensive, and it's free for founders. To date, we have actually hosted 24 Founder University two-day classes and had over 2,000 founders participate. Apply now at intensive.founder.university, and I hope to see you there. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. Maybe now that all these streaming services are facing so much competition, they could consider innovating with cool new features like follow your favorite artists and get notified. When they release something new as opposed to their current strategy, which is just kill everything you, that you like real quick because it's too expensive to keep making stuff. Mm. So okay. uh, streamers have been dropping content like crazy to save money. This is now spread to stars. It includes Netflix, which canceled 1899 after one season, <laughs> uh, a show that people uh, apparently loved. going. Th- it's yeah. from the I don't know if you guys ever saw Dark,
2: that very well regarded German it was yes. a German language series that had a real strong sci-fi kind of puzzle box element, time travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well received. One of, one of Netflix's first big international hits, like one of the first indications, like, Oh, they can grab stuff from foreign markets and make it a worldwide sensation. I think this was even before money heist. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely before Squid Game. So yeah. the creators of that show, this is their new one. So, of Got course, it. everybody who was into Dark jumped on board and it had a same kind of puzzle box, J.J. Abrams, bad robot, lost kind of hook. They were planning on a three season arc. So season one ends on this huge cliffhanger. Oh, no. and then Netflix just and canceled, then they killed it. See, this reminds
0: me of like my brother and I have this long years long joke. That's not a joke, which is like never get into a Fox show. Because I feel like Fox was legendary for this. They would always like, you would get into something that was kind of like cool, like almost human is the example mm-hmm. that always comes to mind for me. And right. then they would just be like, it's out. So, but this is also becoming more and more common, like not just killing stuff when it's, you know, still the baby in the crib, but also removing content, presumably no. to save money. So, yeah, stars was well, pulled three yeah. titles, Dangerous Liaisons, Becoming Elizabeth, and Step Up. Mm-hmm. from its streaming service it's not clear yeah. why they pulled those of course hbo max pulled season 16 through 31 of looney tunes yeah and 78 episodes of the flintstones and westworld and all of that so like talk about how the economics are becoming a lot more ruthless in streaming whether it's killing stuff because it just didn't get what a big enough audience i thought we didn't have to care about audience in this new world of streaming uh, yeah i mean obviously netflix was looking at
2: 1899 number six season one cost about 60 million so that's a big expenditure for them that's a costly show so they were looking at look if we if we go in for another season of this that's 60 million more we're throwing at this show and i have to figure that the season one viewer numbers were disappointing mm-hmm. or at least well below what they expected post dark so that's got to be the explanation there the looney tunes thing uh we found out it was. There was like a deal between HBO Max and Warner Brothers, like HBO Max was paying mm-hmm. a certain lump sum every year to Warner Brothers for these rights. And they just didn't want to do that internally anymore. So they pulled uh, all of that content. So that so, was a
1: personal deal. Like, I don't want to spend money with you because you're a competitor, yada, yada.
2: Well, mm-hmm. it, it was intra-company. Warner Brothers yeah. is own HBO Max. They're both owned by Warner Brothers Discovery. So it was just this mm-hmm. intra-company deal that they stopped doing. It possibly because they're gonna start licensing Looney these Looney Tunes yeah. episodes somewhere else, or right. they're gonna move Flint somewhere else. This or year,
1: because they're not explaining uh the economics of why this is happening. Sometimes it leaks right in the in the trade press, like you're explaining Lon. But what the one of the problems here is expectations. People sign up for a service, Molly, mm-hmm. they expect that they get everything, because that's what you said. Yeah. Okay, it's Paramount Plus, you get everything on Paramount ever did, plus some new stuff. Hey, it's hbo Max. You get everything HBO has ever done, plus Max, right? CNN Plus, you're going to get all the CNN plus some other garbage that you would never watch. That was the promise, and so managing expectations is the issue here. And then they don't explain any of this because right. explaining it would seem kind of marauding. It's like, well, we'd have to pay 17 million residuals for this. We need to cut 175 million, and this is 10 percent of the cuts we have to make. And so it was an easy cut to make. I heard people on another podcast, or and they were kind of going crazy. There was another Netflix um series that people were like, oh, they're canceling this series, and it's another example of canceling a series that includes, you know, this identity politics type,
2: you know, whatever. I bet song. it was warrior none is okay, the other yeah. big and, recent right. cancellation people were very mad about. They're mm-hmm. very mad about this.
1: And they're saying, hey, this has something to do with identity politics. I, I like that word better
2: than woke because woke don't, is just a honestly word. don't use either
1: of them. representation. they're say, the claim was this is being taken off air because
2: of who the person is. It's a, is the, it's a, it, trend it, I saw. Uh, right. Well, and, and I mean, there's, listen, this is a, we don't know if that's happening. This is a, this is a yeah. large scale trend that's happening to all kinds of shows. But I think the, the point would be, yes, Warrior not, it's got a diverse cast. It's a show that's good for expanding right. Netflix's representation. Right. And so when you cancel shows that's like the better that, word. you're narrowing yeah. the, the field once more.
1: But is there something to Netflix cancels? Because this was the trend. I mean, we have no idea,
2: right? Well,
0: they're not going to say that. I
1: mean, d- does Netflix is Netflix canceling more of these shows than The average. I I don't.
2: I would have to. You'd have to look at numbers. Like I don't. I don't. uh, That's another thing that that uh, David Zaslav has been accused of many times with HBO. Like you know they're cutting stuff like Legendary, which is that ballroom drag culture reality show, and a lot of stuff like that. That then these groups are coming and saying, well, this is narrowing the representation that's available on HBO Max. And there was uh, a canceled Netflix trend. But whether or not it's intentional is almost whether or not it's intentional happening.
0: Ahead, it's Molly. happening. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the answer to whether shows with greater diverse, more diverse casts and high, and greater representation are being canceled at a higher rate is almost certainly yes, and here's why: because of audience, right? Like, what what the one of the promises, one of the expectations of streaming was what I just said, which is that we would be freed from the expectation that everything had to be a huge watercolor hit, because that's not how streaming was hit. supposed yeah. to water cooler hit. Thank you. Yeah. That there would be the opportunity for lots of different flowers to bloom long tail with potentially smaller audiences. And so if you make an audience, if you make a show that primarily appeals to, let's say young Asian women. Yep. I'm not saying nobody else is ever going to watch that show. I watched a few episodes of warrior nine. I thought it was fun as hell. But what I'm saying is if you make a show that primarily appeals to that audience, it is likely that it will have a smaller audience. Right. And And if you were that, and if you achieve that, and then all of a sudden your economics get way more ruthless and they hadn't had to be for a yeah. long time because there wasn't any competition, you were Netflix, you just could keep out mm. pumping, you know, pumping out content. Then yeah, that is the first place you're going to start. Yeah. Economically. And then socially, that sucks yes. and is going to look bad. But it ultimately comes down to the real thing that we've been saying about content. I mean, I must have said this on this show a million times and ever, and always before. Is that It's a freaking sinkhole for money. Yeah making content yeah. is
1: expensive so this is where so i think you'd be a great point there Mara. this is where Lon. i think communication and transparency cuz what people were saying is you know netflix warner brothers Zob's love they all make these decisions willy-nilly they're they're there's some metric they're not you know they got to their own internal bullshit metric oh sorry bs metric that they go by in a vacuum This is my message to General Zod's love and to uh, HBO and everybody else who's, you know, canceling stuff. It's reasonable in a down market. You got to cancel stuff. We understand. Right. Uh, Cut budgets. You have to explain yourself. And you have to be kind to that piece of IP. So what does it mean? Well, you should say, listen, um, we have four tiers of shows. These are our blockbuster shows. These are our above average. These are our average. And these are the ones that are more niche. You don't have to call it underperforming. You say these are more niche, call it niche. And yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
1: You could say this falls into our boutique budget and our boutique budget has been cut. And that's it. Just a little bit of explanation. You don't have to give the raw viewership, although I think Netflix should, but I think they don't want to tip their cards to competitors as to what's working. They don't even give lawn, correct? The your viewership to Adam Sandler or anybody. I've heard like Adam Sandler or other people, Chris Rock talk about when they do a show now on streaming, they don't know how many views it got. They literally don't give it to them. So the right. unions and this is what Ben Affleck is doing with uh, Matt uh, Damon, is they're coming up with their new studio. I think they should say, hey, if we're going to give you content, you've got to give us the metrics.
2: So no more hiding metrics. We we may be on the verge of this trend reversing or changing anyway because of advertising it's sponsors Ah, demand specifics they don't want oh 40 million hours of this were watched in the first three day like all netflix's little games that they like to play yes hershey minutes watched yeah yeah, anheuser-busch like they're not playing impressions doesn't play those games Mm, they're like how many people are is
0: this being shown to you know just give it to me straight because so we're seeing the ruthlessness, but not the transparency, like 100%. Right. So there's, they're there's a lot of preparing for, for that.
2: Now that Netflix and all these platforms, Disney, they're starting to integrate ads, they're going to have no choice but to have more transparency around viewership on at least some of these shows.
0: Yep. All right. On that note, we got to go. We got to go with Lon. We got to go. But all we'll right, be Laura back next week. Gone. Lon, I tell think... us what to watch this weekend. Yeah, do Oh, it. my God. Be watching. It's a rainy uh, I, weekend. There's
2: Kaleidoscope on, uh, on Netflix, which is their new heist show with Giancarlo Esposito. You can watch it in any what? order. Oh, kind I heard about this Kind of an interesting narrative all different experiment. Colors? Yes, every episode is named after a color, but except for the finale, which you have to watch last.
1: So Kaleidoscope, you can, you can watch it in any you order.
2: You can watch it in any order. the order that people are saying are the right order. Should we... Well, it'll change your perception of what's happening based on well, what, you, should we what do? you've if seen. If we watch it
1: this weekend, should you pick, should you go on the internet and say, what's the proper, what's the best
2: kaleidoscope order I think or not? You, I I would just let it go. Like, let Netflix so just randomly pick, pick on go, your own. go random. Yeah, okay, like, that's, all right, you that's, say that's go the random. idea. That's 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 what I would, that's what I would do if it were okay, me. You I haven't got, seen uh, it yet. All right. No, I haven't watched it yet. I have checked out on Peacock. There's also Paul T. Goldman, which mm-hmm. is from uh, Borat 2 director Jason Walliner. Uh, a random everyman sent him a copy of his book, which he says is about this real crazy experience that he had. And together they're turning it into a TV show. So you're Ooh. getting both this guy's story presented in a scripted TV drama format, but you're also getting behind the scenes interviews with him and discussion with him about making this show about his life uh, another meta Incredible. like the rehearsal kind a of a bit like the rehearsal explorer. a bit like a borat kind of thing yes a meta contextual sort of comedy series i watched the first two it's very interesting all and right. fun so far
0: so
1: there's your
2: tips for the fabulous weekend. thanks a lot we'll see you next
0: time see you, see you next, next week time. all right everybody thanks for tuning in we will see you back here tomorrow with 2023's first edition of OK Boomer, plus news from the week and whatever breaks overnight. See you then. Bye bye.